The VC Show. You already know about the Low Post Podcast with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse. But have you listened to the VC Show with eight-time NBA All-Star Vince Carter and co-host Roz Goldenwooday, who talk all things basketball with some of the biggest names in sports entertainment? They will give their unfiltered thoughts on the NBA, and Vince will share stories from his illustrious 22-year career. That's the VC Show. Listen while you're listening to this podcast. I feel like this has been one of the craziest, not craziest, just more like contentious MVP seasons from start to finish. And so we come to the end here. Who do you get? And I said Joker for a while, and I gave great reasons as to why Joker's winning it. And now I'm going to be like the regular media is, and I'm going to say Joel Embiid now. Welcome to the CJ McCollum Show. I'm currently recording in New Orleans. Across from me, as always, is Izzy Gutierrez. Izzy, how you doing? doing great man playoff time is is my favorite time of year I, I have some thoughts on that a little later i don't want to get too syrupy right off the top but yeah doing great great time of year right behind christmas i'm glad to hear you're doing well man i'm do- doing well busy you know locked in watching a lot of film as we record this podcast today is tuesday we actually play the oklahoma city thunder in a play-in on wednesday and this podcast is actually going to come out thursday morning so not going to do too much talking about the game besides from my lips to god's ears uh hopefully we're advancing um to the second round of the play-in playing the loser of the lakers minnesota um game but with that being said we can look at some other matchups that we know are for certain um looking at i think it makes sense to talk about about Kevin Durant being in the Western yeah. Conference right away. Let's just talk about this matchup. We have the intriguing. Clippers and Phoenix. T. Lou versus Monty. Who are you taking in how many games? Well, I, I need you to, to to convince me about the Clippers here. Because, like, I know, like, let's just assume, you know, Paul George is not going to be in that first round. And I don't know, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what his injury is. I just know that I, I know what the timeline is, but seems like they're just kind of dancing around it, which to me says, eh, it's not going to be the first round. Um, mm-hmm. But I need you to convince me on the Clippers here because I've seen them lately while, they're, while they've been good, while Kawhi's been good, while Kawhi even played in a back-to-back. Um, and I don't know, is it weird to say I don't know what their identity is? Like, I don't know what it is because even from the entire time those two got together because they're sort of on again, off again. And I don't know if they're, you know, a defensive you know team that can switch everything. And and I mean, they can't with Zubats in there. Or are they, you know, some offensive team with just such versatile wings? Like, how do they win? I think they win two ways, right? Looking at the depth of that team, we're going to pretend PG is not coming back in this series. Let's say he's not coming back in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, Norman Powell comes back um eric gordon comes back um you got mason Plumlee as a backup center obviously you have Kawhi. nicholas batum has been inserted into the starting lineup you got zoo um you got terrence mann coming off the bench you got the young boy uh bones coming off the bench I'm not sure how much they'll play the young fella um in this type of series against the suns you look at matchups you get who's gonna guard kd who's gonna guard book who's gonna guard chris paul and then you flip it who's gonna guard Kawhi? Who's going to guard, you know, if they start Norm or if they start Eric Gordon, who's going to guard a guy I haven't named yet, Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. This gets very interesting, right? Let's let's say you lean towards KD on one, you lean towards Kawhi on the other. They, they cancel each other out. It's going to come down to Russ and bench play, right? I'm going to mm-hmm. go like Norman Powell, maybe he gets hot, maybe he doesn't. Eric Gordon, maybe he gets hot, maybe he doesn't, like – you know KD is going to play well. You know Book's going to play well. You know CP is going to pass and do his thing. But like, how well does a Kogi play? Like, how well does he look out there? Like, he's going to be the guy that's open. And I think that's when it gets interesting with Ty Lue because having played against the Clippers a lot of times, he might put Zoo on a Kogi and switch everything. Like, you don't know what type of matchups they're going to go through, which this this series is going to get interesting. Obviously, I'm taking the Suns. I'm just going to go on the record and say I'm taking the Suns, um, just like the rest of, you know, everybody outside of L.A. because of the depth in which they can score, three-level scores. They got two three-level scores um, who can finish games, whereas the Clippers got a couple three-level scores, but not quite to the, to the level of Book and KD. Kawhi is obviously that guy. If they had PG, I think I would give the nod to the Clippers, to be honest with you, because of experience hmm. together and them having played 
uh, more than eight games together collectively. But in this case, I think it comes down to the role players. I think it comes down to how well Norman Powell plays. I think the series goes six, regardless uh, whether PG comes back or not. I think it goes six. And whether or not it makes it to seven will depend on how well T-Man plays, how well Batum plays, how well Mason Plumley plays. And it'll come down to who Monty decides to play off that bench. Does he go with T-Ross? Does he go with Damian Lee? Like, who does he go with off the bench? And does he favor shooting or defense? The, the most interesting thing so far on the Clippers that you mentioned to me is Russell. And that's it's partially because he's sort of been reinvigorated there. He looks more like himself. He seems to be happy. Um, but also the idea of him sort of being a wild card, um, you know, he's going to be, you know, probably even a little bit more aggressive in the postseason, even though he hasn't had to have um, be that much, um, you know, when everybody has been around him. But I, I think he fitting in and, and feeling, you know, like he can be aggressive and make an impact, I think is going to be a bit of a wild card in that series, but I'm not sure he's going to give you enough to really put you over the edge here. It's interesting that you talk about the canceling out of Kawhi and KD because it feels, I don't know. I, I feel like Kevin Durant defensively um, can make up for a lot of the stuff that they gave up in that trade. But if you're going to give him a steady dose of Kawhi Leonard, when Kawhi's feeling like this, you think he can do much against him? That's why I said they cancel each other out. Um, okay. Both guys are going to score Because I think Kawhi it's, can affect KD. At least make him shoot a lower percentage. Whereas, he'll make, it, he'll make I, it difficult. Yeah. I agree with you in a sense of they gave up a lot to get KD, but KD can really lock in and guard. He's seven foot basically, can get a contest, can stay in front, can make it difficult. Kawhi can make it difficult on KD too. And that's why I basically say, look, you know, you know what they're both going to do on both ends. Like You cancel that out. And that goes to book, right? Who guards book? Did they put platoon on him? Like, who do they put on the team? Do they start team man? Do they go small, start team man, and and, and have a switchable lineup? Understanding that Aiton's going to do post ups, and you kind of live with whatever comes with that, as long as the ball is not, you know, in KD's hands and in book's hands as often. And I think, like you said before, this is going to be a chess match of manipulation of the game. Like putting certain guys in pick and rolls, putting certain guys in certain actions to try to get matchups that you that you favor because you don't want Kawhi on KD all night and you don't want KD on Kawhi all night if you're if if you're um the Clippers because it's easier for them to score on Chris Paul or it's easier for them to score on a guy that's shorter or not as great of a defender, even though book can guard. You want to make sure that you're making them work on both ends of the floor so that it's harder for them to score offensively. Like the more you make them guard the harder it will be for them to score on the other end. And I think that's what the playoffs comes down to. It's picking yeah. the right types of matchups and attacking them over and over again and imposing your will and hoping for the best down the stretch in half court. Yeah, that's why I was I was trying to have you convince me of, of something with the Clippers because having said all of that, I still just don't see a situation where they can stop Book. Like, they, they can't, you know, he, KD does not have to go off. Like, they can just keep feeding Devin Booker. He can get in one right. of those crazy rhythms. And I just don't know if the Clippers have enough variety in their answers. I don't know if Russell Westbrook can be enough of a wild card. You mentioned the Bones Island thing, man. How bad of a look was that? Like, not to, you know, call any young person out or anything like that, but, you know, not the body language, you know, and then getting into it with, with Miles Plumley. Like, you could see that coming in the way he was, um, you know, approaching the game. And I'm just wondering, like, that's obvious. That type of thing is obvious when, when players are doing that on the floor, right? That wasn't an ideal situation for them, but I like the way T, T. Lou handled it. Um, hmm. I've seen a meme that compared the last game of the NBA to like the last day of school, where like your frustrations just built up so much that you just you wanted to fight the whole year, but now you really want to fight because it's the last day. And I think that's what it kind of came down to: temperatures boiling over, wanting to win, the execution that that comes with this game and the lack of execution that they probably were displaying with the frustration of we're playing against a team that doesn't have all their players. We should be winning and we're not like, it was just a lot. And like T Lou said before, you should want to win so bad that sometimes you do argue. Like sometimes you do want to fight. You shouldn't actually fight, you know, IE Draymond, IE Rudy Gobert, but you should <laughs> want to get to that point to where like, it means that, that much to you. It shouldn't mean that much to you. This is your livelihood. And this is the point, the point in time in the year in which you establish legacies and you also establish 
um, consistent championship-like play. And I think everybody's moving in that direction. And it's a, it's a sign that they both competitors and they both care. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Yeah. Um, all right. So it looks like we both got the Suns here, right? But sort of yeah. like before, because I, I can't pick the Suns to win the championship, and this is why. Like I've j- just seen too many of these teams that are like, you know, top heavy, uh, whatever you want to call them, big threes or or superstar type of moves, like that just don't work out all the way to a championship in year one, much less in, you know, half a season or whatever it was, less than half a season with this group. Now, you know, I've said it a few times, like I know KD is like the easiest sort of plug and play superstar in the league. And especially with with Chris Paul, it seems like it might be one of those, you know, Boston Celtics 2003, uh, 2008, big three situations where everything fits so perfectly. But if something were to go wrong here, and I don't want to predict health problems because that's unfair to anybody. If something was to go wrong here, what could you see going wrong with the Suns? Because I say it that I think something can go wrong, but outside of injury, I don't really know what it is. Like, I don't think DeAndre Ayton is going to like bring this team down or help make this team implode all of a sudden, like uh, in the playoffs. So what could fail them? I think depth, foul trouble, you know, those types of things that, that occur, could be problematic, but I also think it just it just comes down to, and I think JJ talked about this on his podcast, right? Players not named Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, not allowing the flow of the game to continue to exist, right? Not taking shots out of there. Like that's one of the toughest things on a team is when there's a swing swing and it's a non-shooter and he doesn't shoot or he doesn't make the quick decision. It 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 stops the flow of the offense and kind of hurts. Right. Um the temperament of the game, if you will. So I think the Josh Kogis, whether it's Damian Lee, whether it's T. Ross, T. Ross and obviously Lee are, are very confident shooting the ball, but then you're giving something up on the defensive end, depending on how you look at it. So them trying to figure out strategically shooting, is it shooting or is it defense? Is it a combination of the both of the two when it's, you know, not the big three or four out there and how effective are they? Obviously they're going to shoot better at home. They're going to be more comfortable at home. They're going to play better at home. How are they going to be in L.A.? And I'm not saying L.A. has a great uh, home court advantage, but it's just different when you have to go on the road, be in the road environment, not sleep in your own bed and all those things. So I think it's going to come down to the others. Obviously, you know what you're going to get from the guys that have been in the league a long time and have performed in these types of moments for a long time. It's going to be about how well the role players play, how well they respond, and are they movers if they're not shooting? Are they cutting? Are they connecting? Are they making the, the next play? immediately that doesn't in a way in which doesn't uh f up the offense and that's why i just think cp is such a critical part of making this work because his experience is sort of calm and his decision making there if he keeps everybody in line like that's where that's where i think he's going to have the most value but yeah i I got the suns there and i don't know what's going to go wrong but i can't pick them to win at all uh so you want to go on to the next uh, series then? Yep. I would like to look at, we stay, we stay in West? Yeah, let's stay out West. Let's do it. What's the other game? Kings Warriors. Kings Warriors. Mm. Yeah, we've got the best offense in the league in the Kings and the best offense in the league over the last, what, decade uh, in the Warriors. Um, 
Andrew Wiggins seems to be past his uh, or, you know, has gotten through some personal issues and is back uh, with the team. And to me, like that lineup with Wiggins in there, um, I think it's Draymond, Poole and the Splash Brothers. I want to say it's that lineup. Uh, it might be Looney in there instead of Poole. But um, that lineup has been the best lineup, uh, five man lineup in the league this year. Uh, I think minimum of what, 300 minutes or so. And so I hate to do this to the Kings because they've been so good this year. It's been such a good story. And it's not like, you know, it's all not going to matter if they don't win a playoff series, especially since they haven't been there that long. But I mean, you know, that offense is not going to be that level of effective in the postseason. It just isn't. And, you know, so when you're, you know, scheming against it game after game, it's not going to be as effective there, you know, while they score a ton, I don't, how well do they move the ball as a defender, defensive? Like how how difficult are they on a scale of one to ten to just cover because of how they move the ball? Very difficult. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying they're going to be able to repeat what they've done in regular season because it's very hard to do that with the scouting. Playing against a team like the Warriors, where Draymond is going to be guarding everybody, he's going to be switching everything. This is a, a veteran laden team who's playing against Mike Brown. Like, let's talk about this for a second. Mike Brown yeah. was with the Warriors. He's he has a lot of their recipes for his success and mixing it with his own. Obviously, he's a defensive-minded coach who transitioned yep. this offense into something unlike anything we've ever seen. But one of the things that makes the Kings so great is the pace they play with, not just off makes, off misses, but the pace they play with in the half court. Everything's a sprint. Everything's a cut that's as hard as you can possibly do it. And then when that, when all else fails, they go pinch post a bonus. They throw the ball to Sabonis, they get the hell out the way. And he makes the right play every time, whether that's a backdoor pass, whether that's a connector handoff where he sets that screen that feels like it's moving, but they never call it. Rolls to the basket, strong right shoulder, left hand every time, and he's finishing. And if he doesn't have something there, he's got one of the best three-point shooters the NBA's ever seen as a rookie um, who you know broke the rookie record for three-pointers made. He hit six or seven against us. He's money. They got Harrison Barnes, who's money, can also slash and get to the free throw line. They got Kevin Herter, who's money, doesn't miss. Um, can also get to the free throw line, can also shoot a one dribble pull up. You got Fox, who's arguably the fastest player in the league. And then you got Monk, who comes off the bench and he's a scorer. And you kind of interchange these pieces and you look at their offense and you think, like, can they sustain this? And the answer is maybe not at that level. It's like those hard cuts, the defenders are a little bit more aware in the playoffs or they're playing def defense a little harder. And so, you know, maybe that's not there as often. And I think in this series in particular, yeah, it's going to be Sabonis. And I would argue that Draymond might try to encourage him to try to post him up and use the size advantage. Uh, a, because, you know, twos, not threes, but also, you know, Draymond defends with his chest and his belly there. He's going <laughs> to he's going to be able to keep to keep the bonus from shooting 65 percent. And so I think that uh, I don't know. I mean, it goes the other way, too, right? Like the Warriors know what Mike Brown is doing there. The Warriors know this offense. It's, I mean, uh, and, and so I just feel like the experience factor and I used to throw this around and just say and just kind of laugh at it, the experience factor. But I'm telling you, man, the more uh, I think it was back in it was 2012 where when that Miami Heat team lost game one in OKC and they basically came out of that saying, oh, no, we got this series because they just saw a less experienced team that didn't, you know, share the ball as much that didn't. And I know that's not the case with the Kings, but just those little things about them that even when they got to the finals, you could exploit. And I just imagine that the Warriors will find that in the Kings because of that experience, because of that similarity. And frankly, you know, yeah, those guys, you know, Keegan Murray, uh, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin, sorry, Kevin Herter. <laughs> I'll call him Kevon from his days in Atlanta. Uh, Kevin Herter. Um, they're they're nice shooters, really good shooters. But, you know, they're not Steph, and they're not, you know, the Warriors when they're flowing. And so I just think the Warriors, even though it's one of those, oh, can they flip the switch situations? Um, yeah, I, I've got them doing it because they've done it. And I know it's a little bit more difficult situation, but you're just talking about winning a first-round series against an inexperienced team. I don't think it's that hard for them. I say all this to say that I like the Kings offense. I love Mike Brown, but you're right. You're hundred percent right. I don't see the Warriors losing in the first round of the Sacramento Kings, a team that's this young that hasn't been in the playoffs in 16 years um, because of a lot of things that you said before, the experience, the versatility, the switchability, the ultimate closer, 
Um, the guy who went on the road in Boston and, and put on one of the best performances the NBA has probably seen in game four, was it? Game four, down 2-1? Yeah, that was a game. Game four. He's seen it all. He's seen every type of defense. He's seen every type of coverage. He's been boxing one, triangle and two. Clay has seen it all as well. They only have to win one game on the road to win the series. And, and, and I don't even think that's a real carryover situation. Like, they're not going to be that bad. They're not going to win, what, two road games the entire playoffs if they, you know, go through uh, the entire Western Conference. They're going to be okay on the road. Like, they, when they have their team and they're healthy, they're going to be okay on the road. They didn't just forget how to do that, how to and, win on the road. And even if they did, they only got to win one game right. on the road. Right. So they could... Just get one or two, and then you go home, bang, bang, go back, lose, go home, game series over, six games. So it's I like. Mean, those finals against Boston is where I sort of got that feeling more than ever from Steph. It's like, man, it is a B word covering this dude <laughs> over the course of a series. And like even a great defensive team can get exhausted and give up a 43.10 rebound four assist game in the finals. But the Kings defense, the Kings defense that's ranked, you know, down in the 20s, like he should be able to have those types of games a couple of times in this series, which would be a nightmare for the Kings. We both say all this to say that it's going to be a very entertaining series in which we believe the Warriors are probably going to come out victorious. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Kings, but something to build on there. Um, all right. Eastern Conference. Uh, Cavs, Knicks is the 4-5 matchup and this series has sort of been lined up for a while now and it's i've always just thought that it's sort of afterthoughts um in terms of these two teams like nobody thinks that whoever comes out of this is going to give milwaukee much trouble but i'm going to go ahead and say i got the Cavs in this one i mean all my predictions are out on espn.com check it out if you want but uh i think the Cavs beyond the Knicks, which I'll get into in a second, but I think they can give the Bucs some trouble. I think defensively, that length of, uh, in the front court and you know Evan Mobley specifically can be kind of a nightmare matchup for Giannis, right? At least somebody who can uh, match up them. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting ahead of ourselves. At least I am. Cavs-Knicks, first round. <laughs> I got the Cavs, clearly. I, I like the you know Knicks and what Jalen Brunson did uh, for this team. Like He is a sneaky... I want to say superstar, not superstar, but just such a like really good player who is like a, a leader and just knows when to pick his spots. Like it's crazy that he was kind of um, hidden, if you will, uh, playing with Luca until, you know, late in the season in that playoffs last year. But um, I just don't think it's enough to overcome that backcourt in Cleveland. Um, if it feels like sometimes when I watch the Cleveland Cavaliers play this year, Donovan Mitchell can kind of decide when he wants to go off because that team has other options and he can just kind of, you know, whenever he's feeling it, just just be aggressive. But I just I don't think the Knicks have enough consistent offense, consistent defense to really take this series from the Cavs. I think a healthy Julius Randle makes this look completely different. Not sure if he's going to be able to play in game one or two, which can shift the series a lot. Um, Don's playing incredibly well. Garland, you talked about the length and athleticism that they have in the front court. Um, I like the Cavs in this series because Randall, even if it comes back, like is he going to be himself coming back from an injury and, and jumping right into the playoffs makes things very difficult. But I do like the direction the Knicks are heading in. Haven't played against them, although they had some guys hurt the last time we played them. You can see the depth. You can see the pieces coming together. Um, love quickly. Aggressive, explosive, can score off the bounce. They got Grimes who can shoot the ball. Length and athleticism in their front court. Obviously, they got RJ, who's, you know, continue to develop um, scores in the paint, um, can get to that left hand. And even though, you know, he's going left, um, makes things very difficult um, for the defenders that that are that are guarding him. But I think Cleveland, more healthy. They're going to have home court advantage in this situation. And they got a guy who's been in the playoffs before um, in Don. And they got another point guard, you know, in Darius Garland, who got a taste of success last year. And I think they're a little bit more hungry um, for, you know, a, a playoff run that probably ends in the next round, depending on who they play. How capable do you think Donovan Mitchell is of having a get on my back type of playoff run and just shocking some people in the Eastern Conference? 
I think he's definitely going to have a get on my back run. The problem is he's going to run into the Milwaukee Bucks in the next round, right? Yeah, that would be them. So you get on your, you could get on my back, but <laughs> you know who get on everybody else's back? You know who get on Giannis's back and Drew's back? And if Chris Middleton is healthy, I mean, he'd have to get 45, 50, and that might not be enough, right? Well, like, yes. I've, yeah. But again, I think, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves on this series, but I think Evan Mobley can definitely, and I mean, and Jared Allen, like that, that is, that is a, a front court that can make Giannis shoot a lower percentage, I guess is probably the best thing you could say about that. And here I'm convinced that you just see guys that just have like injury riddled seasons, or maybe never really feel like they're in their flow for a consistent, uh, for a long period of time. I just don't think Chris Middleton, it's just not his year. I just don't think it is. And so we're going to, I'm going to trust that he's going to make, you know, run health, healthy through four playoff series, you know, once he's back, I, I don't, I don't buy it. And so are they enough? And they're just loaded with depth and some shooting, but are they enough, you know, playmaking talent, um, you know, offensive creators, because without him, you know, he's probably obviously, uh, you know, people called him the closer, which is crazy, but people called him the closer on that team when they won a championship instead of Giannis. So if he's not himself or not there, yeah, I don't think the Bucs are as overwhelming as, as people think. I agree. For the Bucs to win a championship, they need a healthy Chris Middleton. But I think they can get to the conference finals without him. Right. I could be wrong. No, I, doubt I mean, it. And, and if you get there and you meet the Boston Celtics, the last time they faced each other, Boston housed them by 41 in Milwaukee. So that's why I'm just not loving, loving. It's a little bit of a, you know, um, that's what I'm looking for, the phrase I'm looking for. But... Uh, prisoner of the moment, but not in love with the Bucks right now. Yeah, but, uh, and I, I just, <sighs> you're right. I just, the Giannis factor is just, it's the Giannis factor. In the playoffs, they're going to load boxes and elbows. You're going to do all that stuff. And he's still going to shoot 15 free throws. He's going to make a couple jumpers. He's going to get some dunks. They're going to get out and transition and run. They got a bunch of shooters around them. Great rim protection with Lopez. They added jingles. Like, the way they play is just – it's a sustainable level of basketball. Now, for them to win a championship, they do need to have Chris Middleton. For them to get to where they want to go, Eastern Conference Finals or whatever, you got to have Chris because that's another three-level score that makes the game difficult for the other opponent to game plan for. Without that three-level score down the stretch, it's just Drew and Giannis, you know, primary ball handlers. You know, they got Carter. They got guys, you know, Pat, they can make plays and, you know, point five decision-making, but they're not going to run a pick-and-roll and – Hit the weak right. side, like in in force double teams. So they need him. But like you said before, the Cavs are good. Like I'm, I'm not knocking them by any means. I just feel like Giannis is at that level to where, when when you said Don's going to tell him to get on his back, Giannis is going to say get on my back too. But only I've I've got the fifty burger, you know, triple dub in the finals before. Like you really you can really get on my back, and I'll just I'll get us there until Chris is ready. Right. Um. The last series is, I don't think, there's too much uh, drama there in terms of who is going to be picked. It's the, uh, the Sixers and the Nets. And I hate to do that to our boy Bridges, who we just had on the pod last week. Shout but, out to McHale, uh, <laughs> man. <laughs> but uh, what what would have to happen like for, for them to win that series, for the Nets to win that series? Because, you know, you've seen teams give uh, Joel some problems for a little while, but he tends to figure it out within a game, much less within a series. So I just can't imagine there's anything Nick Claxton and that defense can do to keep him from just having a monster series. Nick, the, the Nets had a tremendous season. They they did really well with, with trading and, and acquiring pieces. They got a lot of young talent. They got a lot of wings, um, great depth. Depending on what they're looking to, to accomplish, they can continue to build. They can trade certain assets and, and gain, you know, different pieces to their pie collectively. But um, I just don't see them beating the Sixers. I think where Embiid's at this year is different than what we've seen him in past years in terms of what he's accomplishing on both sides of the ball, how healthy he is going into this season. Obviously, that matters throughout this playoffs. But I would say the only only way they lose is if one of them is not healthy. And by one of them, I mean Embiid has to not be healthy right. for them to not get out of this series because I think they still win if James isn't healthy because of how impactful 
Embiid has been every possession. You play through him, everybody else becomes an option because it's a swing-swing and somebody's wide open. P.J. Tucker begins to offensive rebound. He sets the pin and screen. You got Tyrese Maxey, who's playing at a high level. Um, you got Melton. You got the minivan. Like You got all of these guys who can play a role specifically built to succeed around Embiid. So like, I, I find it hard for them losing in this round. However, that means they're going to run into potentially the Celtics next round. Mm-hmm. Wait, is the minivan George Niang? George Niang. Wow, what a great nickname. <laughs> bang, bang, minivan. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's the Sixers, not much uh, intrigue there, I would say, but um, it has been a heck of a, a, a season for the Nets, and I would say if it wasn't for... Um, who's the runaway winner for Coach of the Year this year? Mike Brown. Mike Brown, right? If it wasn't for Mike Brown... Jock Vaughn, like serious consideration for what he did with that Nets team after as all was collapsing. I agree. Yeah. All right. So we're done with the playoffs. Um, the awards. You want to go through and pick some award winners, CJ? Yeah. Should I start with MVP? No. Let's do that one last. Okay. Let's start with most improved. Um, and I'll go first there since I picked what we're starting with. Um I know, and I don't know where you stand on on the award. I don't know the integrity of the awards and all that. Like I, as somebody who's voted on a ton, I haven't voted in a few years now, but voted on a ton. Like I like my most improved players to improve. Like I want them to not just because they changed locations or changed uh, roles or changed, you know, got more minutes or whatever. Um, and the thing with with Laurie Markkinen is. Like he had a real, it was really good. And what second year with Chicago, like we saw all this from him and I felt like, you know, you give him a starring role, he's going to be able to, to do these types of things. To me, I just love that Shea Gilgis Alexander, like adjusted his game, adjusted the way he was playing, like shot way less threes and says, I'm dominant in the paint. I can get there when I want and finish um, and took this team uh, that nobody expected to do anything. I think their average age is 15 and a half. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> on the Oklahoma City Thunder and and carried them to a play-in situation. And so um, to me, that just feels like the most improved player as opposed to just somebody who made the biggest numbers jump, even though his numbers, you know, from last year to this year isn't his like, biggest, like, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. His numbers, he's had better numbers than the ones uh, that you go from last year to this year, right? So I just, to me, it's close, but I just think Shea has more of a of a case when you consider, to me, what the award really is about. That was a great explanation. I think there is no right or wrong answer in this case. I think the hard part is, is Shea going to make second team of all NBA or first team? I've seen people with, I've seen people on first. So do you win first. first team all NBA and MIP in the same year? Didn't didn't Ja just do that? What did Ja do last year? Was he first team, second team? Because he won the award. To me, once Ja won the most improved player award, then I think it could be anybody. Because, I mean, there have been some stars that people would say, wow, that person has made a huge leap. I want to vote him for most improved. And it's just like, ah, he's above that award. But once Ja won it, I think, you know, nobody's above it. I vote Shay or Shy, or however you say it, um, SGA, because of how well his game has developed. You know, you talk about the pieces around him, how young they are. I think you've mentioned all those things, but how he's adjusted his game to today's NBA, like in his own version, like still getting to the paint, shooting tough middies, isolations, floaters, lots of free throws, generates fouls. Uh, one of the most creative finishers in the paint that, you know, we've seen in, you know, uh, uh, a league pass must watch. The way he's adjusted his game, remind you, they don't have their their draft pick this year. He didn't play all year. Uh, Chet right. Holmgren didn't play all year. Same situation as last year in terms of team, coaches, players around him, and he got better. Laurie, like you talked about, is a good player, was always good, just needed a new environment, needed a fresh start. So I agree with you. Um, this will be another case where the guy gets first or second team All-NBA, but also wins the MIP because he's that good and also made that much of a leap. But I actually think the I'm not think the betting odds are with market and winning it. And, you know, just to to give out the numbers here from last year, market had 14.8 points a game. 
uh, 5.7 rebounds, 1.3 assists. This year, it's it's a big jump. It's 11 points almost. It's 25.6 points a game to 8.6 rebounds. Um, shot more efficiently from you know 45 last year to 49.9, so basically 50% this year. Um, you know, back in his sec- second year in the league, he averaged 19 and nine. You know, and so I th- think, like you said, he's had that in them. But in him, when, when I look at Shea and you look at like last year, his three point attempts, he was he shot 30% from three. Not great, <laughs> not very good at all. And 5.3 a game. And I'd say, how many do you take? Over seven, close to eight. Yeah. So I would say even that last year for a lead guard who, you know, theoretically can shoot was probably even low on attempts. This year, he's like, you know what? Slash that in half. He's two and a half, three pointers a game, slightly better percentage at, you know, 35 a game. But if you go over and check his effective field goal percentage, that jumps from 49% last year to 53% this year. And so he's more efficient by doing the things like we said, he knows he can do better. Um, which doesn't, you know, which isn't falling for hey, falling in love with the three pointer and this, you know, what this league is supposedly all about right now. What he averaged last year points per game? Twenty four and a half, and so even that was a seven point leap this year to thirty one point four. Like that's another thing. Like when you start, when you average the thirties, like you are, like you should. <laughs> that's a huge leap going from twenty four a game to thirty one. That's another level. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe the betting odds were off because the more like these voters like really look at it. I'm, I'm thinking Shea might be, might be the answer. No wrong right. answers here. I, I, he won't be mad if he gets first or second team all NBA. No, no, of course not. Of course not. Um, rookie of the year. There's no question. Paolo is going to win that. Um, you know, Jalen Williams at OKC has, has been just a crazy find for them. And same with Walker Kessler in Utah, but, kind of wired wire for Bancaro, right? He's kind of yeah. like a Jimmy Butler type, isn't he? Yeah, man. He's skilled. He's strong. He can get to the free throw line. He's got isolation moves. Loves the midi. He's going to be very, very good. I heard he, he enjoys working out. He takes pride in, you know, development, studying film and, and getting better. So I'm looking forward to to seeing his growth because he's, he's a guy that can really play. Yeah. What I like about him is building around him seems like it's going to be easy because he's a utility knife, right? Um, right. Obviously not greatest of shooters but he's not afraid to shoot it uh can, can definitely benefit from having a couple of shooters around him but whether it be a dynamic uh point guard dynamic wing to, to to pair with him or a dynamic big man you could see him sort of fitting in with any of those guys absolutely um depoy is an interesting race um i think the betting favorite is jaron jackson jr um, I think a lot of people will look at his, or some people, voters will look at his minutes played, maybe look at his foul situations um, and say maybe, you know, a Brooke Lopez should deserve it, maybe a Draymond Green or an Evan Mobley. But the reason I like Jaron Jackson uh, for the award is because of what he does do in that short 29 minutes fan that he's playing. Like he gives you the three blocks. He gives you the dynamic, like, game-changing blocks. He had one against Joel Embiid this year, which was huge, right at the rim. Um, I just think what he does in that span that he does play, I think, is is too good to pass up for a team that's, what, top two in defensive rating? That's why I give it to him over Brooke. Yeah, I, I think they're all worthy candidates. I know I've heard a lot of Evan, Evan Mobley um, status in terms of how well he's playing this year, the impact he's having on that Cavs defense. They're huge in the front court, and he's a big part of their success. Lopez is a great rim protector um, in Milwaukee. Uh, gives them the ability to still play in a drop, which is very rare for the NBA, and can still contest and get back um, on the centers that are rolling. Draymond is Draymond. Guards everything one through five, switchable. Uh, you'll see his brilliance in this series against the Kings because they're going to put him on Fox at times. They're going to put him on Sabonis. He's going to be guarding Herder. He's going to be all over the court, but also quarterbacking. And this is a guy that could probably win it every year. But I think Jaron Jackson is the winner this year based on impact in minutes. Um, he's a roamer. He's a rim protector. He rebounds. He can he can switch and guard guards. Um, talking about a guy who's young, you know, bright future. And it's a huge reason why the Grizzlies are great defensively. Uh, obviously, Dylan Brooks and some of the other guys that they have in their lineup. But um, he's the key um, behind everything, making sure that it's going how it's supposed to go. Which is more impressive, that Brooke can still play in a drop defense 
and be this effective or that Jaron Jackson Jr. can switch out and cover guards? Like, which is the better quality to have? I guess either one allows you to play just yeah. a different style, but a strong defense. I would say the better quality to have for the long call is the switching guard because mm -hmm. Jaron could technically play in a drop too. But if you can switch and guard, that gives you sure. super – super vers versatility in, in terms of what coaches can call. And like, you can say, all right, we're going to run drops on this guy. We're going to be at the level on this guy. You're going to switch on this guy. And you can kind of execute a game plan with three different coverages, you know, in one possession, so to speak. But for the Milwaukee Bucks specifically, I think it's very important. They're in the Eastern Conference. The game flow is different. How the game is played is different. And the only other big out there is Giannis, who's better as a safety, right? They liked him at the back line of the defense. So you put Lopez in a drop, or close to the level, and you got Giannis Roman, so that you can't really throw that lob pass on the backside anyway with the big rolls. And I think it it, it more suits their defense in terms of hmm. help and recover, uh, force people to 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 shoot contested twos as opposed to uh, painting threes. Uh, two more real quick. Sixth man of the year. Um, basically, it looks like a two man race between Quickly and Brogdon. Uh, Quickly started a good amount of games, but not enough to not qualify for this. Um, I've got Brogdon. This to me has been like a start to finish type of thing. Like he's such a strong fit for them. Um, you know, giving them the type of point guard play that, you know, some people thought they were missing last year, the year before. Um, and you know, the numbers are there. He's played enough games. There's not really, uh, I know Emmanuel quickly had that late season surge, but I'm pretty sure, hang on, let me look this up because I'm pretty sure his big month, he was basically starting the whole month <laughs> and he was, uh, giving you like 20 points a game that month. But I've got Brogdon in this one. It's just, and it's not only that, I know this is weird to say, but it's not only that um, he has been the best six man um, and that, you know, they have been good, but I feel like the Celtics deserve some sort of award winner. Like, they're, <laughs> you know, they've been so good all season long and yeah, Milwaukee overtook them. But uh, I think this, given how steady, you know, he's created for their bench and uh, and given them, you know, de depth, I think is, is, is definitely deserving of an acknowledgement. Yeah, he's playing extremely well. Um, 26 minutes a night, 15 points a game, 48 from the field, 44 from three, 87 from the line, four rebounds, 3.7 assists, plus minus 2.7 net rating five. He's super steady. I think they're going to go further in the playoffs, which probably gives him the edge because these this won't come out yet until after the season, right? Right. Voting will technically be finalized, but in the eyes of the fans, they'll be able to see him play a little bit longer, allegedly. So I think, although Quick had a great year, I'm a big Quick fan, I think Malcolm um, gets it because he's the sixth man on a better team. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, the, probably the simplest reason to give it to him and yeah. probably should have just gone with that. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm going to let you go first on MVP. I feel like this has been one of the craziest, not crazy, it's just more like contentious MVP seasons from start Very to finish. And so we come to the end here. Who do you got? And I said Joker for a while, and I gave great reasons as to why Joker's winning it, and now I'm going to be like the regular media is, and I'm going to say Joel Embiid now. Um, mm -hmm. Looking at how he finished the season, the run that they went on as a team collectively, but also how dominant he was down the stretch. I think he scored 50 in a game where he had over half their points. Um, I think that was against the Celtics, actually. 
looking at how dominant he's been, he's averaging 33 points a game over 10 rebounds, you know, four or five assists, couple blocks. Um, it's it's incredible. And the funny part is this is a year Joker could have easily won it. Triple double, number one team in the West. This is a year Giannis could have easily won it. He'll be the first person in NBA history to average what 30, 10, and five on 55% or something like that shooting from the field. Giannis could win it every year. And I think he said that, which is true. Yeah. Um, if you could give out three trophies, these three would all get one. But I think this year, Joel wins his first one, considering Joker has two already. Giannis has one already, maybe two. Who knows how many he has at this point? Feels like he has more than one. I think this is the year Embiid wins it. I don't know why. Like you can convince me that Joker deserves it. I've convinced people that he does. You convince me that Giannis deserves it, but I just feel like he hasn't won one yet, and he averages thirty three, ten, and five, and he's super dominant. And he went on a crazy run down the stretch. And you can't say he didn't play enough games this year because that's been an excuse historically. He actually did that. Yeah. And I think this is the year he matches his regular season performance with how he plays in the playoffs because he'll be healthy. Yeah, so this has been the game changer of MVP races for me, too, because, um, you know, I used to be the person who was like, oh, you got to vote by the rules and just this regular season and no other thinking outside of this regular season. And, and uh, now I look at this and I say, well, this is it's kind of unfair to just look at it in a vacuum in one regular season because um, they are so close. Like, it's not like there's somebody who's separating himself that we are saying, no, 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 give it to this other person anyway. It's not like Giannis and or Jokic have been better. And you say, ah, let's give it to him because he deserves it. Right. So since they're all so close, like 20 years from now, like who knows what's going to happen next year, the year after that. But 20 years from now, over the last five years, like those were the three dominant players in the regular season. And. Joel Embiid, when we look back in time, given that he put the performance in this year that was basically on the same level as the other two, deserves his. Because 20 years from now, we look back and it's going to be, oh, it was Giannis has three and Jokic has two, or Jokic has three and Giannis has two, and Joel had none. Oh, he was clearly the younger brother or the little brother in that situation. No, he wasn't. He was an absolute beast who was, you know, beating up on them just the same way they were beating up on him. And I think with that sort of sitting out there, and the landscape already been painted, I think a voter can't help but say, okay, there is no real differentiation there. So let that be it for me. He can't, he can't possibly avoid the narrative. Like it's been talked about so much and B deserves one. Jokic, you know, doesn't deserve a third one, which I think that part's nonsense. Um, so I think it's Embiid as well. And I don't think this matters one bit, but it should be Giannis second in the voting and then Jokic third, the way the end of season has played out. Um, I never thought in my lifetime there would be a dude who averages 30, 10, and five on the best team in the league and not winning the MVP. That's absolutely insane to think about, you know, in the 90s, for example, or even in the 2000s, that somebody would do that. But that's how good those three guys have been. And Joel Embiid with his, you know, unbelievable scoring ability and obviously defensive... Uh, almost matches it. Um, yeah, I think it's his year. I think he's going to get it. And I don't think it this matters crazy what happens year. in the playoffs. This is a really crazy year, man. And I think the league is only getting better. I think it's getting younger. And the fact that we have all these 30-point scores right now is a sign that the advance, the advancements in players' ability to adapt to rules and ability to, to add different levels of skill sets. You talk about a big man who can post up, also can shoot threes, who also can get to the free throw line, three-level score in Embiid. Giannis, two-level score, starting to shoot threes. Joker, kind of a three-level score, starting to shoot threes more, especially in the playoffs. Like, the game is evolving. I think it's great for our sport and it's great for our fan base. And fans around uh, the world should be happy that, you know, we have a MVP finals where potentially our MVP finalist list of Giannis, Joker, and Joel, who all aren't from America. Yeah. Another uh, huge note when you think about just the growth of the game and, and where it's come. Um, so I did want to mention stuff like the, <laughs> uh, I, I mentioned at the top that like, you know, playoffs, my favorite time of year. And like, I was thinking about this the other day, CJ, like, from the beginning of the playoffs to the end of the finals, that's, you know, that's mid-April to June. It's like, it's the best TV on. 
it's like the best drama. It's a bit, it's like, it's the ongoing story every single night, every other night, whatever, when you get to the finals is just, it's, it's what's going on that day to me. Like that's how much I love the playoffs, right? It's like, if you right. have your favorite TV show, if like succession was on every single night, you know, you can't get enough of it. And I, with all the sh that's going on in the world these days, and like, you can't avoid it. Like I can't, it's really hard for me these days to, to prep for work and not just fall into a rabbit hole of like just terrible stuff that's going on and just the world kind of going backwards in certain places. But man, I love these playoffs. And like you guys provide so much entertainment for so many people and just such a distraction from the real life nonsense that's going on. And so like, I, I know there's all this talk about pressure, who has the most pressure that that would have like, I just want to say thank you to like you, all these NBA players who just provide so much like regular fun entertainment and, you know, for lack of a better terms, distractions from from what the hell's going on out there. Because like this part of the year, my favorite, man. Yeah, that was that was very thoughtful, man. I appreciate that. It's a lot of fun for us. It's a lot of stress at times and anxiety driven. But this is the funnest part of the year. And this is why we sacrifice so much of our time away from our families, why we sacrifice so much time away from things that we actually enjoy doing outside of basketball, the treatment, the shooting, the practices, the extra work, the injuries you played through, all the things that um, are not a part of the game that make the game better um, matter now. And I think that's the really cool part about what we've gone through this season and what I've gone through historically is, you know, no one really remembers 45 games ago, but everybody will remember these next couple of weeks and, and months ahead uh, as you try to solidify who you are um, on the big stage. All right, man. Well, uh, I'm surprised that you uh, did this whole podcast. Uh, <laughs> not well, never mind. Uh, well, I've been recording podcasts during the playoffs since I've been going to the playoffs. Even when I went to the conference finals, I did. It. Huh. So well, don't worry, man. I don't believe in the jinxes. It's it's gonna be what it's gonna be, and I'm ready <laughs> for whatever. <laughs> cool. Well, good luck, or I'm sorry you lost since this is gonna be Thursday. Who knows what's gonna happen? I appreciate it. Either way, I'll speak to you next week. <laughs> All right.